You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. danger that these guys faced. He understood that the world was going to hate them. The world was going to fight against them. The world was going to undermine everything they did. Sound familiar? It should. What did Jesus say? The world hated me. They're going to hate you too. Why? Because we have God's Word. God's Word in us. God's Word lives in us. Danger and safety. One, we want to be a part of. The other, never. Pastor Dave continues walking us through a prayer of Jesus. He prayed for the men that chose to follow him because he knew the pitfalls of the world. Will you allow his truth to invade your life? Will you walk in faith that as you share his love, he'll protect you? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 17 as he continues his message. Jesus prays for his disciples. You are Judas was an independent contractor. <laughs> he, was, he did his own thing. He did his own thing. Why? Because he was kept by Satan. He was kept by Satan for this one point. And furthermore, the Lord points them that they will be kept by his word, and by doing this, this will lead to inner joy. Jesus prays that his followers were experienced a full measure of his own joy. I'm coming to you now, Father. But these things I say that while I'm still here, so that these guys may have my full measure of joy. You think they ever got it? You think the disciples ever had that full measure of joy? Well, you know, you read through the scriptures and you read through some of these wonderful epistles by Peter and John and even the Apostle Paul and and, and some of the others. You get the feeling that they did have that joy. They did have that joy that came in there. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is giving them that joy, that peace and that comfort. That's what one of the Holy Spirit does. He says, in 1429, Jesus said, I have told you these things before they happen, so that when they do that happen, you'll believe. And how many times through scriptures do we read that this was happening, and all of a sudden he said, wait a minute, Jesus said something about this. And they believed because the Holy Spirit brought it to their mind. What kept these men? What was the glue that held the men together? Spirit of truth. Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. It was the spirit of truth. As they believed, it worked in them and led them into joy. What were they kept from? Scripture tells us that they were kept from the evil one. They were kept from the evil one. Jesus was worried about them being kept from the evil one. Look at verses 14 through 16. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As I've been saying, 
Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew the danger that these guys faced. He understood that the world was going to hate them. The world was going to fight against them. The world was going to undermine everything they did. Sound familiar? It should. What did Jesus say? The world hated me. They're going to hate you too. Why? Because we have God's word. God's word in us. God's word lives in us. The scriptures, God's word, is the primary object of the evil one's hate. He hates God's word. Didn't he lie about God's word all the way back in the garden? Has God really said? Did he not misquote Psalm 91? So Satan knows scripture, but he misquotes it and he misuses it and he lies against it. He questions it, makes us question it. And he prays that, Lord, keep them in your midst of the world. This is very important. We're going to talk about this. For centuries, Christians would read these scriptures and they say, well, the world is a dangerous place, which is correct, but we need to move away from the world. We need to build these little places where nobody can come in and we're not going to ever let the world in. We're going to hide away. And stay there. We're never going to come out of our houses except to do this or do that. We're going to stay there together. We're going to be there. Many are taught that don't go to places where the worldly people go. Don't have any contact with non-Christians. Don't make friends among them. You can see this today if you drive up to Lancaster, Pennsylvania. There's a group of communities that have pulled themselves away from the Lord. Excuse me, away from the world. They don't want anything to do with the world, but they have to come to the world. They have to make buy and things like that, but they're, they're pretty, pretty secluded. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world. How could people know Jesus if we lock ourselves in our room? How are people going to know Jesus if they don't see Jesus in you, if we get sequestered in our homes? Jesus sent the disciples into all nations. We're to be witnesses of Jesus through the outermost portions of the world, he says, by the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can't forget that the world's a dangerous place. I'm sure all of you recognize that by now. The only safeguard is the provision that Jesus made for us to be with us. It's called the Holy Spirit. Abiding in a loving relationship with him enables us to be in the world, but not of the world. To be in the world, function in the world, but not partake of the world, worldly view and the worldly things. We make contact world. We establish friendships in the world. But yet we keep from the dangers of the world. But the world continues to try to pull us in. The world is behind the hatred of Jesus. And who's behind the hatred of the world? The godless world. Who is the evil one? That's what he just said. The evil one is the god of the world. He constantly wants to physically and spiritually destroy us. Death is his weapon, so he thinks. Jesus called him a thief and a murderer. He invents a million ways to kill people. His favorite tactic, deceive them. Deceive them. This medicine will help you reduce your pain. This medicine will help you reduce your pain. And pretty soon you're hooked on the medicine. And you can't get off the medicine. You're so despair. You're so upset. You're so depressed. You should just end it all. Kill yourself. That's his tricks. That's his ploys. 
people quarreling together, people getting angry at each other, end up killing each other. The difference between nations are bloody wars that involve terrible slaughter. All this is from the evil one that the Lord says, I want you to be kept out of. He assures them that the devil really has no claim on them. They do not have to follow him. Did you hear that? You do not have to follow the evil one. You have been set free. You have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. How do we learn those things? By his word, by studying his word. Jesus prayed that they would be kept free from the evil one. And I love it. And I got to turn there because I love what Jesus said to Peter in Luke 22. In Luke 22, in verse 31, Jesus is speaking. He said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that beautiful? And that, that's wonderful. About one sentence later, Peter says, I'll die for you, Lord. Or he says, well, not so fast, big guy. Not so fast. I have a problem with that. So listen to that. Can you imagine if Jesus called your name out today? In that voice from the Ten Commandments, David, Satan has asked for you. Wants to sift you at wheat. Oh, man. But then you'd hear those beautiful words, but I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And listen to what Jesus tells Peter. And when you return. I love that. I love that beautiful thing. I prayed for you because you're going to return to me. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. He's going to tell them at the end of the Gospel of John, feed my sheep. Feed them my word. Peter knew John was going to fail him. Jesus knew Peter was going to fail him. But Jesus also knew that he was going to bring him back. I love that because he prayed for him. Finally, the word says that these men may be sanctified. Let's finish out the verses. Verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And here we have this Greek word, hagiomas, which simply means to separate. Simply means to be separated to God. The word consecrate and sanctification, they're, they're kind of similar words. To be separated to God. He says, Sanctify them, separate them to me. In the context, he's saying, separate them from the evil things and bring them to me. This is God's will for all of us. This is God's will for the believer. But sadly, some people think all you need to have is this great big religious ceremony where it's a sanctification ceremony, and once you're sanctified, you'll never sin again. Let me know how that works out for you. That's a false teaching. What does sanctification mean? It means to be set apart, to be set apart for a specific purpose, to be set apart for an intended use. God has set us apart for an intended use, an intended purpose. What purpose did God have in mind for man? He wants to use him 
as an instrument of his working to manifest God's character to mankind. Why? So that men and women will be drawn to him. Simple. Jesus models this himself. You sent me into the world, and now I've sent them into the world. Just as Jesus was God's instrument to live among people, now the disciples would be God's instrument to live among people. But he tells them to wait for the power. Wait for the power from the Holy Spirit. We are sanctified by the truth. And listen to what it says. Your word is truth. I love that. So scripture tells us that we are sanctified. Number one, by the Holy Spirit, by God, and by our faith in Jesus. When Jesus called Paul on the road to Damascus, he told him that he was sending him to the Gentiles to open up their minds, eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance unto them that are sanctified by faith in Jesus, set apart. Paul, writing to the Romans, says that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit in 1516. And Jude writes that those who are sanctified by God the Father. So through his word, we are sanctified. We are set apart. Jesus is praying, keep them from the world. Separate them from the world. Father, your truth, your word is truth. Separate them from the world. The scripture says, come out from among them and be separate. It doesn't mean to live locked behind closed doors. It means to be different. To be different. You have a different mindset. You have a different worldview. You have a different way of moving and motivating. You have a different way. And then look at the last. He says, for their sake, I sanctify myself. What's he talking about? Remember, sanctification is for a purpose. Jesus is talking about the main purpose he came to earth. Jesus is talking about one thing here and one thing only, the cross. The cross. That was the intended purpose of God. That was the intended purpose of God, the cross. He would be the lamb that would be set apart for sacrifice. When Passover came, they took a lamb. And they took a lamb early, and the lamb became part of the family. And they would probably name it and things like that. But then when time came, they would sacrifice it. They would sacrifice it. They would set it apart. This lamb is not going to be a pet forever. He's going to end up being a sacrifice. He was sanctified for that purpose. Jesus on the cross was sanctified for one purpose and one purpose only, us. He was sanctified for their sakes, he says. He suffered the death on the cross for our sake. It is only through his merit and only through what he accomplished that I can come to the Father. Jesus proclaimed, I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. I have nothing to offer God, absolutely nothing to offer God, and it's blasphemous to offer God the works of my hand. Why would I offer God filthy rags? Why would I offer God less than anything that was perfect and pure? I wouldn't. My motives at best are always questionable. I don't even know the true motives of my heart because my heart, like everyone else's, is deceitful above all things and wicked. No, my nature is basically selfish. That I do not know nor can I discern the real motives of my actions. I might see someone struggling to get across the street 
And I might run over there and I might help them up and take them across the street. And then am I doing it? Am I looking around to make sure somebody sees me doing it? Do I hope to get some kind of reward from God because I did that? No, it's only through God's merit. It's only through Jesus' merit that we can ask the Father to sanctify through the truth. We want to be sanctified by glory and fire. And I know how many are sitting there going, yeah, sanctify by glory, Lord, Woohoo!" And you're sitting there with a pen where it says fire and you're crossing it out. I don't want to be sanctified by fire. But that's our example, folks. That's the example that God has given us through Jesus Christ. He's the example. Whenever I come to God for anything, I never come to God on the basis of my merit. I come to him on the basis of Jesus Christ who sanctified himself for me because love willingly went to the cross so that they can be sanctified also in truth. As an outcome of the death of Jesus, the believer is granted the power of the Spirit by which we can be useful instruments to God. Can you imagine what's going on in the heads of the disciples? Listening to this prayer, listening to everything that was spoken that night. Remember, it began with a dinner. It began with a Passover Seder. It began in chapter 13 with the foot washings and all the way through. Can you imagine what the poor disciples' heads are like right now? They are really confused. There's a problem, though, with the disciples. Because of the religious box that they were placed in, they can't even imagine a crucified Messiah. They still cannot imagine a crucified Messiah. And even Jesus is saying things from them right now. He's praying for them right now. The disciples are going to learn very, very soon that Jesus was telling the truth, that Jesus was speaking the things of the Father, and they would understand Jesus prayed, you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So Jesus sends us into the world that God might reveal through us Jesus to man. We are sent into the world that we might reveal the truth, sent to be a witness of God. Once again, we are sent in the footsteps of our great example, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. We also seek and try to save those who are lost, not by our merit, but God's merit. Jesus was the light of the world. We're to be lights of the world. In fact, he called us the light of the world. Jesus received the Spirit in his baptism when he was anointed and filled, and the Spirit guided him. We're also to receive the Holy Spirit by the baptism of fire. We're also to receive the Spirit so that we can be guided. We can be led into a good relationship, and we can show others the way. Jesus was always about his Father's business. Are you always about the Father's business? Jesus prayed that they might be sanctified by the truth, and then he sends them into the world. They were to be set apart for the world that they sends them to, set apart. To me, it's nothing more than glorious that now Jesus has given me his place of acceptance because Scripture says, I am now accepted in the Beloved. Because of Jesus Christ and because of my faith in him, I am now accepted by God. I am accepted in Jesus Christ, the beloved. He accepts me. He welcomes me in. I am his child. And he cares for me like I've never been cared for in my entire life. And now to honor him, 
um, to be his witness here on earth that others would come and have that same glorious experience that I was blessed to have, that I was blessed to have. Jesus isn't finished with his prayer because as you will see, Jesus turns his sight from himself, from his disciples, and now he looks to us. In verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also to those who will believe in me through their word. What hope we have in Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced that hope, if you have not experienced that wonderful relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Lord, I encourage you now, to make that decision today, to choose Jesus above all things, to ask that the Spirit would guide you and lead you into the loving arms of Jesus Christ, that you would recognize that you are a sinner and your place is deserved in hell, but you also recognize that Jesus can save you from that eternal destiny. And he can take you in his arms and he can carry you to heaven with him where you can be with he and the Father forever. He's longing for each of you to do that. He's longing for each one of you to come to that realization and come to that knowledge today. It's no surprise that you're here. He has called you for a reason for this purpose. For such a time as this, he has called you so that this message could be preached to you so you could hear it with your ears just as Jesus was praying aloud. You have heard God's word perfectly with your own ears and now you have to make a decision. You must now decide whether all this is nothing but bunk or if it is indeed the truth. And if indeed it is the truth, then you have a major decision to make. You either accept it and make it your life, or you reject it and suffer the consequences. Truth be told, and you must decide. Maybe you've slipped away. Maybe you've fallen down a slippery slope and you can't seem to get back up. Maybe you're struggling to get up and you can't get up. Maybe, like the prodigal son, you're wallowing in a pig trough and you can't get out. But like the prodigal son, a light bulb has to go off in your head where the Spirit says, come back to the Father. The Father's waiting for you on the doorstep with open arms. He's got the royal robe. He's got the ring. He wants to kiss your face. He wants to welcome you home and kill the fatted calf. Maybe that's you. My heart, heartfelt belief that you need to come back to Christ today. Come back to Christ now. You are a the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start. So many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.